Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. Today, I'm sharing Samantha Allen's story, recorded in June of 2020. She has a background in public health and psychology, so not quite your typical hospitality background. However, through her storytelling, we get to hear more about how she got involved in hotels, and in particularly the buildings themselves. All right, and we're now recording. Hello, everyone. Uh, I have today with me Samantha, uh, whom I met virtually <laughs> at Hospitality Tomorrow. She came into our booth and uh, commented on some of the discussions that we're having and we connected on LinkedIn and then we just had a chat and I just thought what you're doing is fascinating and it's, so, it's also different from whom I normally would interact with. So I thought it would be great to have you on here and for everyone else to hear from you as well. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you, Noreen, for having me on here. I'm quite honoured to be asked to be um, on your show that's, that's starting now. Um, so I, my background is in public health and psychology. So I got my undergrad in psychology. Uh, and then after working, um, I wanted to do something to do with food and, and figure out how our lifestyles impact our health and well-being, not just, um, you know, one thing that we do every day. But I realized I needed a little bit more to understand that. So I went back to school uh, and got a master's in public health in environmental science. So looking at how our physical environment mainly uh, impacts uh, our health and well-being on, on a larger scale. And so from there, I, I started working for a company, really starting my career. I did jobs before and, you know, mostly research work. Um, and then it refer focused on how buildings, so the physical environment of, of the built environment, impacts the occupants and their health and well-being. So when I was there, I looked at different technologies such as um, how our HVAC systems work, so um, heating, ventilation and air conditioning systems work and how they can impact our health and well-being. Uh, looking at water um, quality, because when you think about it, you know, you have your municipal water quality report, but that's going to be different from what you actually get at the building because it then has to travel through however many miles of pipes. Um, and then, you know, there might be a construction site next to your building, which is impacting the pipe quality. Um, the age of the pipes makes a big difference. So there's a lot to think about and consider when um, we're looking at water quality, which is something that I'm passionate about. And then also things like lighting and acoustics and how that impacts your um, health and well-being. So with lighting, there's actually, um, a, again, in sort of a new field of research or relatively new in, in the grand scheme of things, um, of how light impacts our circadian rhythm. So our sleep-wake cycle. Yeah. And as we all know, uh, sleep is a really important part of our health and well-being. Uh, certainly, I know if I don't get a good night of sleep, if I don't get at least sort of seven hours, I am very cranky. I'm not focused. Um, you know, my productivity is down. I'm more likely to get sick. Yeah. Um, 
and and it's there's a bunch of knock-on effects and we're starting to learn more about how actually not having a balanced circadian rhythm can lead to a whole host of health problems mm -hmm. um, because it also ties into our metabolic system as well so our uh, metabolism has a circadian um, rhythm as well and light is the biggest influencer to that and we found this new cell in the eye about 20 years ago that we're starting to understand the mechanisms behind there so a whole bunch of things within the built environment that can impact our health and well-being um, I then worked for the subsidiary of, of my old company and was doing um, a standard called the World Building Standard, which focused on how to actually apply all of these uh, pieces of research to a building um, to make it fit into that mold, similar to uh, Bream or Bream um, in the UK and, and LEED in the US. But instead of focusing on environmental outcomes, it focused on uh, the occupant health and well-being outcomes. And now, um, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, which is probably actually a good time to do it because I think everyone's taking uh, a pause and a bit of a step back, I've started my own company. Um, I've just actually signed the paperwork to, to do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's called Sustainability Extension or Sussex for short. And uh, I'm going to be focusing on how to help people, um, different groups, kind of get to the point um, of improving. I mean, everyone's kind of aware that we do need to be improving our sustainability in terms of our buildings and in terms of our office spaces, our, how we run hotels, how we run restaurants, um, and also improve the health and well-being of staff. Uh, I think that has certainly come to the forefront recently with, yeah. with everything that's going on. So helping people kind of take that next step, figure out what is going to be um, the thing that they can impact uh, or that they can change or have an intervention for that will create the greatest amount of impact for their for their staff uh for their guests uh for everyone that's that's involved in that space amazing <laughs> Thank you for that intro and i have like i have like a hundred questions i want to ask you mostly about my own personal space considering that i just moved and i just thought about the piping the water the lighting so i'm yeah. not going to take on oh take over this conversation but i might do a follow-up with you afterwards that's fine um and you know we were just talking just before like it's so true like the sleep cycle it does impact so much and obviously the last couple of weeks i've just been like is so disruptive but I know time and time again when I don't sleep well it just affects me so much yeah. versus when I do sleep well and I'm just like I'm bouncing off the walls <laughs> at other times um the, so let me ask so the the company that you've just started Sussex and you're going to be focusing in hotels and hospitality is that correct uh, that will be one of my focus areas. So my mother actually has a design practice um, and she focuses on hospitality. So through that, I've been meeting a lot of people who um, are interested in what I'm doing and have asked me, well, what, what are the things that we can do? Uh, but also when I was with my previous company, I was you know, talking to a lot of different hotel groups that were very keen um, to, to do the, the standard but, um, you know, hospitality, hospitality and wellness is, is, you know, that they go together so well. Um, and sometimes it's a lot of talk and not a lot of action. Um, so they, people were like, look, we are actually putting in the work. We're actually making our spaces healthier. But how do we demonstrate that? So they wanted to apply the standard to have that international um, seal of recognition. Or they, you know, didn't know how to get there and, and wanted to make those improvements. But there was a big difference there was a 
big challenge because the standard really was geared towards commercial buildings, mm. not hospitality. Mm. And so if you're trying to, you know, take a square and fit it into a rectangular mold, um, it sort of fits, but not quite. So there, there were a lot of issues that I found that weren't fitting the model for hospitality. And so I became very interested in how to focus specifically on hospitality and target some of the direct issues um, that you have there, especially when it comes to differences in what the owner and the operator want, mm. um, which is not something that you really have with commercial buildings. Yes, you have an owner and you have tenants, yeah. but it's a very simple transactional thing. So it, whereas opposed to um, an owner of a, of a hotel versus the operator, operator has certain standards. They're like, well, actually we can't give you this brand if you don't meet these certain criteria. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a different relationship that happens there that really wasn't accounted for when you're talking about the people that are working there versus in an office space. Yeah. Like, and it's like, cause, and also like in terms of commercial building, it's always the same people day in and day out. And you know, you're just there for eight hours of the day. Whereas yeah. in a hotel, it's, it's 24 hours and you're having different people in there constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the consumer yeah. side, but then you're absolutely right. The owner's criteria versus the brand criteria and what their mm -hmm. standards are. I mean, my mm -hmm. God, it's a bit of a minefield. So, I mean, is there like a well equivalent standard for hotels or is that something that's still not yet? Um, so, so well can be applied to hotels. There are a couple of hotels that are doing well. Um, there is one in, I want to say Alicante in Spain that is actually certified. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a couple um, that will be coming up in Southeast Asia that, that um, I helped uh, bring over the line. Um, so hope once they're, they're ready in, I think about a year's time, they'll be, they'll be getting certified, which is great. Um, but I think there was a lot that kind of fell in the middle ground where the standard is quite challenging. It's, it's meant to be, you know, you're meant to be pushing yourself. It's not meant to be a standard type building, yeah. but if you've already got a hotel and operation or you've already got a building or an office space that's there, it exists, it's already running. Um, you can't necessarily make those changes, especially now when we're really trying to save cash because we don't know what the next few months are going to hold for us. And something like a hotel really does rely on those seasonal peaks and, and troughs. And now we're kind of in an unprecedented um, trough that we don't know what to do with. So um, because we want to hold on to cash, but we also do still want to see those improvements, we can't go from A to Z. There has to be steps in between. And that's where I'm really hoping to um, provide my background, um, provide my, uh, the knowledge that I've, I've gathered over the last few years um, to help people get to those next steps, to figure out what is going to be the thing that they can do that will be like, this will improve everyone's health that, that enters the building, or this will at least improve the health of our staff. Because that's the other issue you have with um, hospitality that I think is, is greater than, than with commercial buildings, which is turnover. Mm. Usually commercial buildings bring in um, someone like a JLL or a CBRE, one of the big real estate companies to do all of the facilities management, to do all of the um, you know, procurement and things like that. Um, so that, that's a standard team that they kind of set and, Whereas in hospitality, um, perhaps your, your team might change a little bit more. And, but it's it really important to keep those people because if someone's good and they keep, people come back for other people mm -hmm. and it's those one-to-one -one experiences that can really make or break a guest stay. I think especially now that we're doing staycations, we can't just wow people with tourist attractions because 
they've seen them <laughs> or they, they know what's up. They're like, yeah, I've, I've been there. I, I live next to it. Um, I'm just here to get away from, you know, my day-to-day routine that I've been stuck in permanently by mandated by the government for the last three months. I need, I need a break. Yeah. What can I do um, that is going to make me feel like I'm a thousand miles away versus a hundred miles and sometimes just a change of scenery is, you know, a huge, makes a huge difference as well. Yeah. But you're right. The Absolutely. Inter- human interaction will always, always count for just that extra level of experience. And that will create a memory that you're going to remember and come back for. And people now really are caring about the health of the staff of the places mm-hmm. that they stay because they don't want to get sick. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a bit of a selfish thing as well, where guests are coming in, they're like, uh, they just coughed. <laughs> um, so, so you want to make sure that, that your staff are healthy for, for other reasons as well. <laughs> but, but also because having the healthy, happy staff member who's going to actually care about the brand, who's going to care about the company and how well it does, is going to be a lot better at having those return customers. Um, and if you've got a return staycation customer, I think that that is really a sign that you are doing very well. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've always talked about, you know, you know, the health and the well-being of the staff, you know, is important and that will make sure that they're happy and it passes on and it's like a bit of a chain reaction. But I think now it's like definitely, you know, forefront of the conversation, forefront of people's mind and, you know, just really paying attention to that. And Yeah. And also, you know, as much as we're doing all of this, you know, this personal human interaction, a lot of what we're still doing is virtual. And um, I know a lot of Mm -hmm. hotels are talking about how do you make sure that it is a, you know, no contact experience and so on and so forth, which brings me to how we met during hospitality tomorrow, which is all in a virtual world. And when we were chatting earlier, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, a lot of the speakers were still definitely men. And um, it's definitely a bit of a at least what appears from the outside is a more of a male dominated industry. But then I, this is part of what I'm doing here is that there are just so many amazing women in our industry and that, you know, I do want to kind of highlight and showcase them in your experience, I guess, from your education and your careers, like you started, started with public health and you went into environmental science, you know, what were your experiences like? Yeah. Both from a education and also from a professional experience. So um, my public health program in general was mostly women. I would say it's about 60 plus, 65% women. And then my environmental science class, um, you know, so the subset of that uh, was, there was only 22 of us um, trying to save the environment (laughs) (laughs) out of a massive class of about a thousand. And we only had one male, so (laughs) not a lot. but, you know, I, I think that we, we, we talked a little bit about this before, um, certainly with the environmental sciences. Um, I don't know if it's something specific to women, but it is something that I do tend to see more often in women than men, where um, whether it's because of child rearing DNA, whatever it may be, there seems to be a trend where women tend to understand a collective empathy better than um, our male counterparts. Um, I, that, that obviously is not true across the board. There's definitely um, females who are like, I don't, yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> and, and there's definitely men who, who are fully empathetic um, and understand the plight of, of many. I think 
certainly we're seeing a lot of that um, uh, in the US right now. Uh, but generally, I, I think women are better at understanding that. And so issues of environmental science, and when I've gone to conferences and we've talked about that, um, it tends to be the women that are always on the social side. So it tends to be a lot of the speakers there are female, um, and they're high powered lawyers or they're engineers, um, not jobs that we typically associate with, with women. Um, although when I do go to speak to the engineering firms, um, even if it's their sustainability team, those do tend to be male dominated. Um, but when I go to speak to sustainability teams within companies, those tend to be female dominated. So, so there's still, still a little bit of a divide, but I think we're starting to see that blur, especially as we go down in the age groups. Okay. Um, certainly Gen Z don't really seem to care about male and female um, binaries anyway, so, which is probably a good thing. No, it's so true. I've been re I mean, definitely it crops up every so often. I remember a long time ago, I was reading this article and, you know, this mother was talking to her child, a daughter. And, you know, it was around the time when there was like the first female bishop or priest, or I can't remember what it was yeah. in the UK. And, you know, everyone was making a big deal about it. And her daughter's response was like, oh, really? Women can't be bishops? Like, as if it yeah. was a given. Like, there was just, there's no difference in the role that you can have based on your gender and I just I just think it's amazing like if we can have this next yeah. generation coming through the pipe and just not seeing those differences and yeah, that I, would I, be the ideal <laughs> yeah that would be ideal and I love what you said about collective empathy I mean it's just it, it it's 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 a really good term for also for what we're going through right now but I think just generally like I think when um I mentioned this the last time we spoke was that in Bangladesh, um, the microfinancing that came through mm -hmm. was directed towards women because the, the logic behind that was the women, particularly in the villages, you know, they're borrowing money to run a business because they want to feed their family and their community, yeah. not just themselves, right? Because they do take care of yeah. it. It works or it has worked. Um, and that, mm -hmm. that seems to be that theme of you know identifying you know who's who's going to care the most you know that nurturing yeah nature i suppose that you know yeah. in the vast majority that women do have <laughs> yeah and and i th i think that's what i was trying to say is generally true of climate change which is like literally the largest collective um that there is because it affects all of us it affects the entire planet so so in order to kind of grasp that and the impact that it will have not just on me or you or my friends or my family or you know my city or town it's everyone mm. um that kind of requires um a different level but again it's not it's not specific to women but i do tend to see more more women in that space and I remember the last time we spoke, you shared this really interesting research that I absolutely loved. And I wanted to make sure that everyone gets a, a chance to hear it from you as well. Um, is the research about taking one economics class? Oh, yes. Okay, <laughs> so um, when I was, before I went and did my graduate degree, um, I was working as a researcher, um, kind of in it was in a behavioral economics for a, a professor teaching behavioral economics. Um, and so with my background in psychology, I found this really fascinating. Um, and we ran a study that's, it's been done a few times. I forget the original, uh, or the, 
original study uh, who, who did that. But basically, um, we asked participants, it was, it was a kind of game to see if you would cheat another player. Um, you could meet the player, sometimes you didn't meet the player, sometimes you didn't know if the player was real or not. Um, but it was, you know, to see how even people were. And what the research showed was that if you'd even just taken one economics class, um, not just an economics major, which many of them were, but if you just taken one economics class, your chances of cheating the person, other person went up dramatically. Um, if you start, basically, if you start seeing things from a more capitalist mm -hmm. um, view, uh, then you start to get quite clinical about your choices in terms of um, how money should be divided because the main player one was the main player doing most of the work of the game. Um, it wasn't that much work. They were just rolling a dice and guessing numbers and passing it on. But player two literally had no choice but to um, just accept what was given to them. Mm. And so they were like, there's this idea of, oh, if I'm doing most of the work. Um, even though this is my counterpart, I should get more of the mm. outcome. And this is, I mean, that, that research has been replicated, um, as I said, a few times, and, and it's been shown to be pretty strong, which is not great. Yeah. <laughs> no, I also think, you know, I, I mentioned this in one of my posts a couple of weeks ago, is that, you know, although we're finding ourselves in such an unfortunate situation in more ways than one, the one thing I do find consistently is this, the positivity and this community feel that's coming out of it, whether yeah. it's, you know, neighbors helping each other out because, you know, someone's sick, they can't go to the shop to, you know, help, you know, companies supporting one another. Okay, you, your kids are at home, but okay, fine, work from home, you know, whatever it is, it's just the focus is no longer about profit and revenue. It's definitely more about, you know, making sure that everyone is taken care of and looked after, yeah. you know, and everyone's yeah. supporting one another. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that something so terrible has had to happen to, to bring this together, but it's really that yeah. community feel that it's coming through. And, yeah. you know, over the years, I think we have become a bit of a, narcissistic selfish generation with you know selfies and social media and all that kind of stuff and hopefully this will kind of bring some other conversation to the forefront and i'm hoping there will be some change you know i mean and it will be some long i after. hope so but i read a statistic recently that basically um throughout the pandemic uh the 50 richest people have gotten 550 billion dollars richer Okay, so um, it's not getting shared evenly for sure, but I think there are a lot of businesses, um, you know, obviously this is the vast majority, 99.5 or 99.9%, um, I think are doing a pretty good job about making sure that their staff are well communicated to, that people are checking in with each other more, um, just on an individual level, like I think people are calling their friends and just asking, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, and and I think that I've actually been in touch with with my friends more during this time, even though I haven't been able to see them than than I would have been if I'd been able to see them. So so it's it's an interesting time for sure. Hundred percent. And um, moving on to something a little bit more on the 
uh, I guess, personal development, like things about, you know, what I knew about myself five years ago is, is not what I know today. 10 years ago, I didn't know today. Sure. Um, if there's something that you've kind of learned about yourself in the last few years that you really didn't recognize in yourself, um, is there an example that you could share with us? Oh, that's a, a really good question. I've certainly learned a lot in terms of reading more about my physiology and how that's been impacted by the environment, but that's more job and career stuff. Um, I think the other thing that, that I've, I've been learning is I wasn't very brave before. Um, and it's, it's weird. You think of, of you know, teenagers and, and people in their early 20s who you think you know everything and, and you're on top of the world and people are like, oh, they're unstoppable with their confidence. I think that I've actually gained a lot um, more confidence in wanting to speak out and not just, um, you know, hide away what I was thinking for the benefit of keeping things happy. Mm. Um, mm. I, I, I obviously want to be fair um, and I don't want to just rock the boat for the sake of rocking it, but I think I've been a lot more outspoken about what I think is wrong and not, I think one of the things that I'm trying to do that I've realized in the past I did before was, um, if I had a problem with someone, it was more, it came out more as gossip and I've been really actively trying to change that and be like, no, confront the person, talk to them about it because that's the only way you're really going to solve something. And so before when I say I wasn't brave, I wouldn't have gone to someone and said, I disagree with you. Um, you know, occasionally in school, I, in, in school, I would never have a problem being like, I don't think that's what the author said. But but when you're when you're at work, there's like a much broader hierarchy and everything's new. And uh, certainly when you're in school, professors are teaching you things that you've never heard of before. Um, you've never had a chance to think about. It, and you're like, wow, everything's so amazing that it's it kind of blinds you to all of the different uh, other different viewpoints that, that you could be having. Um, and so I think one of the could it, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, I'm going all over the place no, with this. Great. I, I love it. You're, you're doing yeah. fantastic. And it's funny, you, you talk about brave. And that's probably why we connected so well when we first spoke. That's been my, one of my mantras for this year is that I want to be more brave. Like, just be brave yeah. and trust myself and just, yeah, speak up when when you know that either something's not right or something that you strongly believe in and just let that be heard because otherwise if you don't let it be heard they're yeah. not going to know. And I think part of that um, I read Eloquent Rage recently um, or sorry Good and Mad I'm just about to start Eloquent Rage which is about women being angry basically <laughs> <laughs> but but there's been this you know problem of when uh, po female politicians are speaking they are often pictured with their words if their words are you know somewhat forward not even aggressive but somewhat forward that the picture that's put in the press is of them looking like really aggressive and angry and harrowing even though that was not their facial expression for 99% of their speech or whatever it might be whereas men tend to look much more measured 
in, mm. in the photos that are represented in the press. And so there's this idea of angry women. Um, and I think that th there's um, an intersectional um, issue with this as well, where uh, if you are a woman of color, it's even more so. Mm. Um, so, uh, the, the, and there's all sorts of narratives that play into that as well that are just wrong. And so it's like men are passionate, but women are angry. And and it's these adjectives that are applied as well. And so I'm like, I don't care anymore. People can think that I'm angry, but I'm going to say that I'm passionate because that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to go on to my final question because I do feel like we could probably go on forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, who inspires you? Okay, so... Um, this took me a while last time, but but I'm gonna stick with my answer, <laughs> which is is Bill Gates. Um, and I think that it's because he's someone that is always just stuck to what he wants to do and puts his money where his mouth is, uh, quite literally. Uh, he has always been trying to find problems and solve them he's never been interested in things that hold him back i mean he dropped out of university he was like i don't see the value in this you know i'm not getting anything from it i know what i want to do and i'm going to go for it and i think that that's a really admirable trait i think it is easier to do that as a man than a woman um men tend to be more encouraged in their crazy endeavors than, than women do uh, but thankfully, my parents have been very supportive of me starting my own company. They're like, yeah, you can do this. And I'm like, can I? <laughs> uh, but but that's that's been good. But he's he's someone that kind of went against the grain, went against what everyone was telling him to do and, and just really stuck to his guns. Um, he's also funded, I think, one of the best research institutes for um, public health data. So it's called the... Um, Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. It's out of the University of Washington. And they put out um, information. It's, they, they run this study that gets published in The Lancet or every year. And there's, there's separate publications that are in The Lancet um, on a periodic basis as well, uh, called the Global Burden of Disease and Disability study um, and so and they they make that information publicly available online the only time that you cannot use that information if you're a lecturer you can use it if you're educating people you can use it but if you are using it for commercial purposes you must purchase the data which i think is is totally fair and so they and that's how they they fund themselves as well but bill gates um i think signed over like 40 million or 50 million um to basically get this thing really off the ground um, which I think is, again, something where he's like, look, here's this problem. I know that we have this problem. I want to help fix it. I don't know personally how to, but I, I know when I see a good idea of someone who does, where to, to, to put that money in and where to focus my attention and use the platform that I have of being you know, the person who created Microsoft to speak about those issues. Um, and also, I think... Obviously, there's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, and they've done incredible work. Uh, but also, he puts out a really great reading list um, yeah. every summer, which which I tend to base my reading list off of because they are quite good books, and it's a good mixture of of um, nonfiction and fiction as well. That's that's good. No, thank you. This has been. I know I've learned a lot, and I'm sure the women in this group are going to learn a lot from. I hope this. So. Thank you 
so much for taking part of it. I do want to ask one quick question. Where exactly are you right now? I'm currently in Malaysia. Um, there's still the lockdown here. Uh, I'm staying at my parents' home, uh, which is very lovely. Um, it's been good to be here. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting out sometime <laughs> soon. It's been a while. But uh, it looks like I'll lockdown will be lifting on the 9th and then my visa will expire about two weeks after that so i'll be i'll be out in about a month or, or just under okay well good luck with the next thank you uh, next <laughs> yeah next um, next is hopefully thailand but we'll, again we'll see when the borders open up what happens who knows <laughs> no but the reason i asked that question is like early this week i talked to a german girl who was in guatemala and i'm talking to you you're British American, British American Japanese living in Malaysia <laughs> and and this is like the you know I've fulfilled one of my ambitions with this group is like to make it really truly global so thank you so much <laughs> for being a part of this well, thank you sharing all your your story with us I have thoroughly enjoyed it so thank you so much thank for being a part of this thanks thank you so much for listening I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.